This episode is brought to you by Awesome CX by Transcom. Awesome CX provides high-touch, personalized customer experience services to consumer brands of any size. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Lee Green, and welcome back to the show. This is episode 173, and today I sat down with Kurt Vandermeer, the CEO of Endangered Species Chocolate. Headquartered in Indianapolis, Endangered Species Chocolate has been crafting premium chocolate for three decades and donates 10% of net profits to impactful organizations and initiatives that focus on wildlife conservation. Kurt shares his story from growing up in Indianapolis, working for his father's building company, to attending Calvin University, where he pursued accounting, to becoming a CPA for six years, which led him to a job offer to work for Endangered Species Chocolate as the director of finance. We talk about the five duties of a CEO, how he became the owner of the business, and why he still listens to his grandma's advice, which is, mistakes only happen to those who do things. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe, leave us an awesome review, and check us out at stairwaytoceo.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Kurt. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I'm excited to hear your story and becoming the CEO of Endangered Species Chocolate. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for the opportunity. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. So let's hear your story, your personal journey and how you became CEO. Is this your first CEO role? This is my very first CEO role. That's awesome. Yes. So let's hear it from the very beginning. What was childhood like? Where did you grow up? Just tell us about what it was like being a kid. Sure. Grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. My mom would say I was, well, let's back up. I was born in Sioux City, Iowa. 13 months when I moved to Indianapolis, my mom would say the playpen was the last thing to be loaded on the moving van and the first thing to be unloaded when we got here in Indianapolis. So I grew up on the northeast side of Indianapolis. So I will call myself an Indiana Hoosier. I am the youngest. I have a much older sister. I commonly refer to her as my much older sister. She's only six years older than I am and a brother five years older than I am. And what kind of things were you into? Did you play sports? What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I grew up in Indiana, so all of us wanted to be a basketball player, and that lasted to about ninth grade. And then I think the best sport for me was cross country, when they could look at way down the road and say, hey, run all the way down to that fence, touch it, and run back. I knew kind of my basketball career was over, and so I became a cross country runner, and then you just naturally go into track. So those were my two sports in Indiana, but I fondly remember going to Indiana basketball games where the high school where I attended, our sectional and regionals were in the Hinkle Fieldhouse of Butler University. So when you watch the movie Hoosiers, that is where we had our basketball games and the sights and sounds of Hinkle Fieldhouse are like none other. So very tried and true Indiana basketball was my sport until it wasn't. Cross country. I tried that. I was the last one. I was not very fast, but I kept going. (laughs) I had the endurance. Sometimes Um, that's all you need. One foot in front of the other. (laughs) Exactly. And so looking back as a kid growing up, were there any times or signs or, you know, just looking back of leadership? Did you show any signs of leadership back in the day? Oh, I don't know if I showed signs, but I'm going to say I grew up in the building industry. So let me explain. My dad was the executive vice president and general manager for a local building supply company. So think of a lumber yard, but this was back when 
the heyday of building and the shop talk around the kitchen table was always something to do with the building industry. And especially summers, because summer at that time was far busier for the construction industry. And so my sister, my brother, all of us worked for this company at some point during our summer. My sister, she served as the receptionist. And that's back in the days where you would be out of the office and you'd come back and you had those pink little slips that said while you were out and they had to handwrite the names and pre-voicemail. My sister loved that because she got to know the in and out of the office. Let's just say the gossip of the office, right? Who's calling who and what? My brother and I, we got other positions. We got to work more delivering loads of lumber to the various job sites. And so the, the talk was always about what's going on in the building industry. And my dad serving as general manager, we always got his insights But, you know, we were the salt of the earth. We were the ones working in the back. We were the ones hourly. And so we were able to give him our insights as to what was really happening out in the field. Oh, if we only knew. His problems were far greater than our problems. (laughs) But I'm sure it was nice to have those insights, right? As a leader, having a family. Yeah. And the front line there, basically. Absolutely. And so, you know, the jokes were always about back orders were a thing of that they wanted to eliminate. And they never wanted to send a truck out to deliver what was needed on the job site, but they just forgot that one important item or then they'd have to send a truck back out later on. And so customer fulfillment. And I really saw from my dad customer fulfillment, doing things right the first time and how he was able to really work a room too. He got involved in the Builders Association of Greater Indianapolis. My dad could network like the best of them. That's awesome. Do you think that you have that trait too? Well, I'm an accountant by trait. So no, (laughs) I struggle with this. I can be a wallflower at times. There are some mannerisms that I might have that my dad, how he was able to grab someone by their elbow or just kind of you know, Mm. the right touch at the right time. Sometimes when I do that, I think, oh, I did learn. I did watch and I did learn. But he was far greater at being able to go from conversation to conversation than I am. That's funny. And so did you have any other jobs growing up that you can think of? What else did you do as your first couple jobs? Yeah. So supermarkets was right around the corner from us. And this was a grocery store whereby We had people at the end of the conveyor line and we bagged your groceries for you. We put it on the cart and then we walked out with you. We actually put it in the car for you. So that was my first introduction into grocery. I I got to see that. I did that for for a number of years. But always coming back from college, I worked at the lumber yard. Your first year before you're even eligible to kind of ride on the trucks. I painted all summer long. I painted the white trim around their buildings. Anything that was white, that's what I painted for three solid months. But then with each summer, you gained more and more responsibilities such that by maybe my senior year coming home from college, I was an actual truck driver. I was the one help delivering the loads now to the lumber yard. So fond memories of that time. And so where did you end up going to school? What did you study? And what were some of your jobs out of school? So I went to Calvin College, now called Calvin University in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And here's a fun story. So I knew that I was going to go into business. I knew that I wasn't going to go into the sciences. If I have to look through a microscope, all I see are my eyelashes. And I never understood that concept of cells colliding and what all that meant. So I knew I was going to be business. And in my upper years of high school, the high school was awarded the new Apple 2E computer. And they started a class called Accounting Lab. And it was a two-hour long class solely on accounting and using the Apple computer. So heading into Calvin, I had to decide, am I going to be a business major or am I going to be an accounting major? 
And from these conversations at the dinner table, I didn't really know when you go into business, I thought, well, I don't know that I'm going to go into the building industry. So what other industries are there? And really didn't know. So how do you get into that industry? How do you get into pharmaceutical? How do you get into whatever this might be? But I knew if you become an accountant, you just, that's what you become. You're an accountant. So going into Calvin, every business major, every accounting major, you take the same introductory accounting classes. Doesn't matter. And then you, if you're accounting, you break off to the track. Well, I did really good in that class because I had had this accounting lab in in high school. So I had the equivalent of almost one full one and a half years of accounting walking into it. And I thought, wow, maybe I am pretty good at this. My dad kept coming back. Oh, I'm not so sure you've got the personality to be an accountant. Are you really sure you want to do that? Well, I ultimately ended up going and got my accounting degree from Calvin. I passed the CPA exam. I worked in public accounting for six years. So Lee, commonly, I will refer to myself as an accountant, even though a number of years ago, I left that industry or left that position when I became the COO, but I still kind of refer to myself as an accountant. So you were basically working as a CPA up until you learned about endangered species chocolate. Is that accurate? I was. So I spent six years in the public accounting industry. Think of your CPA firms that provide the audit and tax services to organizations. Did that for about six years. I had an opportunity to leave that industry and go into a client for the accounting firm I was working for. So now I'm jumping into manufacturing. Now I'm the person that I used to go out and meet with in order to conduct the audit. I'm now responsible for the internal financial statements and basically all aspects of running the finance department. We're able to touch a little bit of the aspects of human resources, learn a lot about cost accounting, now having to do that out in the field. And because of that position, I ultimately was awarded a chance to join Endangered Species Chocolate. So was Endangered Species Chocolate the client that you're referring to? No, Endangered Species Chocolate was a brand that was about 12 years old. This goes back to 2005. Lee, I commonly refer to this as my two-beer story. How I got here is a great two-beer conversation The two bourbon story, while that's even the best version, if ever, let me see if I can't condense this down a little bit. In 2005, I'm working for this local manufacturer. They were in the electronic hardware business. Think of drawer slides for the electronic industry. Think of a server rack. You want to slide that server out, drop a new one in, push it back into the rack. They made those rails That was great business before Y2K, and it really wasn't as great business after Y2K when we started to see many of those electronic industries leave the United States for either Mexico or to China. So I updated my resume. My resume was out in the marketplace, and lo and behold, one day my phone rings, and I answer it, and I hear on the other line, I'm Randy Deere with the Endangered Species Chocolate Company. Well, Randy Deere and his business partner at that time had just purchased the company Endangered Species Chocolate, which was started in Talent, Oregon, about 12 years prior to that. So in the 1990s, it was started, but Randy and his business partner had just purchased it, and they were in the process of beginning to scale up the business. And one of the things that they wanted, specifically Randy wanted, was to hire a new director of finance. The business was going to be moving. Endangered Species Chocolate was going to be moving from Talent, Oregon, Southern Oregon, to Indianapolis, Indiana. And Randy's, one of his primary objectives was hire a director of finance. So out of the blue, Randy calls me. He got my resume. I never applied for this position. And he's beginning to ask me all of these banking questions and finance questions. Well, I'm trying to Google who is endangered species chocolate. And I up comes a picture of the founder. His name is John Stocking. It's got chocolate pouring over his head. And I thought, you know, the picture I see on the internet is not necessarily matching the voice that I hear on the phone. But I kept going with this conversation. And finally, Randy Deere, who's on the phone, says to me, 
One last question. Do you eat breakfast? I said, I eat breakfast every day. He said, well, meet me Monday morning, 8 a.m. at a local restaurant spot. That's where I met him. And that's where my, quote, first official formal interview was with Randy. We had another conversation later on in the week. And the following Monday, I called him up and I said, Randy, I'll join you. So I left the company, this manufacturer that I was with in Indianapolis, Indiana. It was 53 years old. It was second generation management. I left that company to join Endangered Species Chocolate that was literally five months old. The facility hadn't even moved to Indianapolis. And here we go. I moved from B2B business. Our engineers at that time talked to the engineers that say Dell Computer. They designed it. We built it. We invoiced it. They paid for it. And you just did that cycle over and over and over. I left that to go to B2C, natural and organic industry, grocery industry. And boy, did I have a lot to learn. I bet. Quite a learning curve and a kind of risk that you took to kind of join such a small type of organization. It was just going through a lot of restructuring, I'm sure, and also a move from Oregon. So what was it like when you first get started, you know, and and in that breakfast meeting, did you kind of see a path? Were you excited about the future and growth opportunity you could have at the company? Or were you kind of like, this is really cool. These guys seem nice. And this sounds like an interesting job. You know, what was your perspective? Or maybe we can take aspects of both of those Mm -hmm. and kind of combine it. Yeah, there was a little bit of like, hey, it would be kind of interesting to be on the start of something. Even though the brand was 12 years old, I just got the sense from talking to Randy Deere and his business partner that this was not going to stay small. They had visions to expand this company. So getting on the ground floor was really intriguing. Going to a company, I'm going to say literally five months old because it was going to be all new organization and management. Yeah, Mm -hmm. really scary, especially for an accountant who's used to, you know, I came into the company I was at before. They had the policies, they had the procedures, they had the accounting system. My job was just to maintain and improve a little bit. This was going to be a whole different set of challenges that I was going to have to undertake. So it's a combination of both of those that I said, eh, why not? My wife and I at that time were building a house, so why not? You know, if you're building your first new house, why not just throw in a whole new job into it and just create all kinds of chaos in your life? Perfect timing, exactly. Perfect why not? timing, perfect timing. It always seems to work that way, right? I feel like in my life, it is definitely like that. It's it's like, oh, no job. Neither of you have jobs. Like, I feel like I spent so much of my life building up my career, building up my career, building up my career. So I could be like this career working mother, right? And of course, like the moment I'm pregnant, I lose my job. My husband doesn't have a job. It's COVID. I'm like, what? We just bought a house. I'm like, what is happening? This is not what was supposed to happen with all this hard work. (laughs) This was not how I had scripted it. But Mm -hmm. you'll just see there's a lot of things I haven't scripted that have turned out way beyond, far exceeded the expectations of the plan I created. So you started out as director of finance. You moved, I think, five years later into a COO role. And then at what point did you become CEO? And what was your vision for the business way back? And how does that compare with where you guys are at now? We're getting into the great aspects of the two-beer story. So let me just kind of continue on. I did come in running director of finance. This was shortly after their due diligence. So I was almost going back in time to time of acquisition to kind of figure out what did we buy and all. And this is new. I've never done this before. So reading through the the asset purchase agreement and understanding what all this is, how is this now being shown in our financial statements? While at the same time, they were aggressively adding capital to the business and just wanting the business to take off. So I'm trying to go back in time sometimes while trying to project forward. What is the new pricing structure going to be? What's our cost? Do we have enough people? What about equipment? What about equipment financing? All these things are coming to you at a time. So I did that, served as director of finance for up to about 2010. And I had the opportunity then to go into the CEO role. 
Randy's business partner was serving as the CEO for the first five years. Let's just say he came more from the sales and marketing side and said, you know, it's now time for this company to swing the pendulum and we're going to have it be run by the finance side of the business. And I just said to him at that time, are you sure? Because, quote, I'm an accountant. And when you put an accountant in charge, what's the three things that they do? They cut people, they cut places, and they cut things. I mean, and and that's a little bit of what I did. I came in and I had a different idea than our previous CEO of what we wanted to do. I wanted to really kind of explore the roots of the business. And by what I mean by the roots of the business, I wanted to sell pallets of chocolate to our distributors that then sell ultimately to the grocery stores, or I wanted to sell direct into the grocery stores. Being in the chocolate industry is very fun. And there are so many different avenues that you can go. You can go into events and think of chocolate on the pillows at hotels where you're at, or you want chocolate at weddings with a special label. I mean, there's so many different ways. I saw a path that said, we're already in grocery. We're established in grocery. We understand grocery. We're going to go all in on that business. And whatever else is we're kind of messing with, let's just cancel that. And so that meant at times we had to eliminate people, places, and things in order to bring the business back and really fine-tune our operations here. We're a mission-driven company. We donate 10% of our net profits. To me, I wanted to and still want to magnify the impact of our brand promise. That's pretty amazing. You guys have donated millions of dollars to give back partners who focus on wildlife conservation. And I think I read somewhere that your goal is to do a million a year. Are you guys at that goal right now? We have a goal like that. We also have a goal of just creating moments of joy through abundant giving. And so maybe it's a million dollars. Maybe It's probably going to be much greater than that as we continue to expand the business. Lee, I've always had this kind of philosophy. I think, I know we're really good at making chocolate. We make great, delicious chocolate. I also know those people that have dedicated their lives and they're gone to education to study conservation are really good at what they do in conservation. Therefore, we donate on an unrestricted basis. We give our 10%, and I guard that number. I guard that calculation with great integrity. I'm not worried when 60 Minutes wants to sit across the table from me and ask how I came up with that number because I know the integrity of how we guard that 10%. So we give that money, we donate that money to nonprofit organizations involved in conservation and encourage them in their work. They're good at conservation. We're good at making chocolate. Yeah. You know, and I I can attest that it's really good chocolate. You guys have almost every flavor and different types of mix like under the sun. It's incredible how many types of chocolate bars you've managed to create and staying on trends like the low sugar and using oat milk. It's really interesting. And I love more than anything, I think what I love from like a customer experience perspective is when you open up the gold, you know, wrapping paper of the chocolate, not only does it taste good, but the wrapper tells you quick facts about endangered species. So I literally learned more about a sloth the other day than I've ever learned in my life. And it's fascinating because you learn funny things like sloths actually fall out of a tree once a week for its entire life. That's crazy. I knew they hang from trees, but I didn't know they fall. And they're literally designed to fall 100 feet and be totally fine, not injured. So anyways, I thought it was fascinating. I learned about bald eagles, the African elephant. I mean, did you know, I'm going to quiz you on your own stuff. Why is the bald eagle called bald eagle? Oh, now you're really going to try to embarrass me. You don't know why they use the word back into the accounting figures. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I'll tell you, because I thought it was fascinating. The great news is that tells me that you enjoyed the 
dark chocolate with caramel and sea salt, which that we is would exactly call the, the one. Exactly. Well, there you go. So you won on identifying which bar tells you about the bald eagle. And you're right. It's the caramel and sea salt. It's my favorite one. I love caramel. But the bald, what I thought was interesting because I'm like, yeah, eagles are not bald, right? They're not. It says the bald eagle isn't actually bald. It gets its name because its white head against its dark brown body makes it seem bald from a distance. So a little trick question there, but I thought it was fascinating. And I love those quick check, those facts, like don't ever take them away. I think it it's such a good conversation starter. I brought out a bunch of chocolate bars in my family and we all got different animals and we're talking about these facts. It was really fun. And that's how we refer to our product internally is by that name. So I would call that the, the Eagle Bar or we have the Owl Bar or the Black Panther Bar. That's Cloth just bar. commonly. So <laughs> when people join our organization, we always say you got to learn our zoo because that's just how we refer to it. And how do you pair up the flavor with the animal? Who does that? That sounds like a fun job. It's like, all right, we're going to do a, a, a caramel bar with sea salt. What animal should we put in that one? The good news is, Lee, there's lots of different combinations that we can do with chocolate. The kind of disappointing news is there's a lot of endangered species that we can choose from. So it really is just kind of a matching, just to kind of make sure that, you know, you kind of want to create some sort of connection. Let me give you an example. Dark chocolate with peanuts, right? Our elephant bar. What do you think of when you go to the circus and peanuts? It's the elephants, right? So hence that becomes our elephant bar. You guys bar. have like a group meeting about this? Does everybody get to put input? Or who is the circle of people that comes up with these ideas? Well, like I said, I'm an accountant by trade. So it's certainly not going to necessarily come it's from not you. my creativity. So That's you can come up with the having, peanuts and elephants thing. Yeah. <laughs> having a great, great marketing sales innovation team led by our chief revenue officer, Whitney Benbenek. It is a collaboration of employees. It is a way that we can also involve all people from our organization, whether you are in finance or quality or IT or sales, marketing, innovation, whatever, to help us come up with our new bar and to sometimes choose the animal that's going to be on the outside. We've also done that a contest or reached out to our consumers and say, which one do you want? And let our consumers pick as well. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Customer service and call centers are rarely topics that people get excited about. But Awesome CX is simply different. Their inclusive culture rooted in wellness and fun means that their teams are encouraged to be their best selves personally and professionally by providing them with everything from mental health and healthcare resources to career development. And regardless of the size of your business, Awesome CX is uniquely positioned to support you throughout your growth. They work with some of the fastest growing startups like FabFitFun, Carbon38, Lettuce Grow, Mudwater, and so many more. Want to see it to believe it? Just email me directly at lee, L-E-E, at stairwaytoceo.com to request to join one of their coffee chats where you can meet with their amazing team and witness the agent engagement yourself. You will be so impressed. I can't wait for you to learn more about Awesome CX to make your brand's customer experience awesome. Thank you so much to our incredible sponsors for supporting the Stairway to CEO podcast. Now let's get back to the show. When you were first talking to Randy and his business partner, maybe since he was CEO at that time before you took over the role, what was the conversation like about bringing you on as CEO? And how are you kind of feeling about it? Were you a little nervous? Were you like, I hope I can pull this off? You know, it's a lot of pressure to be CEO. All responsibility falls on you, right? So how did you feel when those conversations were happening? Oh, great question. Great, great question. There was trepidation on my part because I knew I was leaving an industry, a profession that I had been in. And I recall having the conversation with my wife where I said, if I take this job, if I move into this CEO role, you know, I'm kind of turning my back on being an accountant, being a CFO, because I'm going to lose that skill set. I'm going to be out of that for a while. And so I'm really going to have to make sure that I do this well. So yeah, there was both the excitement of, hey, look, obviously Randy believed in me 
And Randy was a great, great mentor to me, encourager, mentor, spoke truth to me, both good and bad, taught me so much that I felt like I had his encouragement, I had his blessing, more importantly, I had his support, that he was comfortable moving me into that role. So yeah, you do go in with fear, trepidation, excitement, and you sit in the office and you say, okay, now it's my turn. Here we go. And I did have very different ideas than the previous CEO. And I shared those with them. And I said, are you sure you want me in here? Because here's a litany of things I probably, I know I want to do differently than what you did. And he just said, you're the CEO. Now, if you ask me my opinion, I'll share my opinion, but you're the CEO, you go. And so we kind of, of course, corrected. And I'm so glad that we did. It's really been beneficial to the business. So how many years have you been CEO? Well, since 2010. I ought to be able to do that math. <laughs> I think it's about 13 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, give or take. 2010 was when I moved into this position. And that was just five years after kind of working with Randy. And that's a good time to be able to really learn about each other and how you work together and then kind of grow from there. And so now that I mean, 13 years, it looks like it's been going well and you've been enjoying it. What advice do you have for aspiring CEOs that might be, you know, thinking about jumping into the CEO seat or being welcomed into that seat? What are some maybe things that you thought this role would be that it wasn't? Yeah. I've heard it said that being CEO can be a lonely position. There's some truth to that. So I would encourage people to find those that they can lean on. I've joined a couple CEO peer groups. Right now, I'm in a group called Truth at Work. We're all CEOs. We're in unrelated industries, so we don't have to worry necessarily about competition. And you can, quote, roundtable an issue when you have something on your mind with those that have maybe encountered a similar situation. A really good network of those who are trusted advisors. I've always believed in coaching. So we have had a leadership team coach for a number of years who have guided us along. You know, I think you need to be able to filter out all kinds of ideas. But ultimately, I say, you know, you sit at the end of the table for a reason, like the Thanksgiving Day dinner, right? That's where grandpa always sat at the end of the table. That's the person (laughs) everyone's going to turn to. They're going to do the blessing on the food. They're going to be the one that gets to do the prayer before everyone eats. Well, Sometimes that's the same situation here where all eyes turn. There are times where you have to decide, are we going to buy that equipment? Aren't we? Are we going to go in this direction or not? I have two great strategic advisors now and turned me on to a number of different books and uh, different ideas. One of which is I really have five duties as CEO that I need to do. I need to set direction, speed, risk, resources, and culture. I should be spending 80% of my time on that, which means the task list kind of went away. I don't necessarily have a task list when I come in. And so there will be a shift when someone wants to move into the CEO role. There is a shift away from what do I need to get done today? to where do I think we need to be headed tomorrow? That's a big shift. It's a huge shift. Combine not just becoming CEO, but along my journey, Randy was so benevolent. I was able to join in and get a little bit of ownership, a little bit of ownership, a little bit more of ownership. That little bit moved into a majority ownership at some point. And then with Randy's recent passing, I'm now the sole owner of Endangered Species Chocolate. So there's a whole nother realm that we can talk about of being CEO is one, being owner is another mindset that you need to have. 
So being player coach is sometimes a real challenging situation. So if you think just being CEO is lonely, wait till you're CEO and owner. That can be really lonely at times. Double whammy. Yeah. Double whammy. Yeah. Because, you know, employees don't always want to, quote, come into the CEO's office. And I, I want to have an open door. As an accountant, I love. I keep telling people, you can't give me enough information. I love the data. Keep coming in. That's one of my downsides, too. I could do paralysis by analysis, but I really want people's input before a final decision has to be made. And there are times that ultimately you have to make as CEO, as owner, you have to set the direction. You have to set the speed and resources. And that takes sometimes where someone has to say, yes, this is the direction we're going and make that final decision. Absolutely. And having those peer groups, the leadership coach, that's also key in helping with those, I think, decision-making moments where you feel very alone and trying to figure it out. How have you grown personally and professionally as a leader over the past couple of years? How has your leadership style changed and how have you grown personally? Well, a couple of tenants that I think I try still to employ. One is really making sure you get the right talent in the right positions. And that is really easier sometimes said than done. But boy, you really know it. And there are a number of individuals that I have here. Whitney Bimbenik, who I mentioned earlier, serving as our chief revenue officer. Brent Robinson is our director of operations. I love having those two reports. For me, I have two conversations. Do we have enough coming in to the building, meaning revenue-wise? Are we got enough coming in? Are we, and then go from Whitney, and then I can go right and talk to Brent and say, but we have the capacity, the ability to meet all of that need and much more, right? I love those, that yin and that yang, being able to talk to those two. Those are two great professionals, trusted professionals. I love having them on my leadership team. But on the leadership team to make sure that the CEO is also a quiet. I like being quiet. I like having the last opportunity. I love saying, I get to go last. So I want everyone's input. And I have a phrase, everyone has to say something. You weigh in before we, so that you can buy in. I may not agree with everyone's opinion, but everyone gets to say what their opinion is so that we're all aware of it. And when the decision is made, everyone understands where people come from. You can only do that if you're quiet in leadership team meetings. That's really interesting that you uh, wait to go last and uh, that you make sure everybody weighs in. I think that's important because in a lot of situations, leadership teams are not. There's sometimes the quiet people that don't speak up, or maybe someone said something close enough to their idea that they feel like they don't have to say it anymore. You know, and it, and those people are the ones that I always find. I want to really, I want to hear from everybody. I'm very similar in that way. I want to hear from every single person and especially the shy ones. Yeah. Well, it's easy as an introvert myself to know what's going on with others and to call out others to say, Hey, you're acting like me. You're the introvert. I want to hear your opinion. The other thing I'll do is I'll always ask three times. Anybody have anything else they want to say? And I'll ask that three times. You'll be amazed. Even after one or two times, someone will come and raise one more point. And I start the clock all over again. I'll go around three more times. Does anyone have anything else to say? And tell them I'm really comfortable with this game. I'm comfortable with silence. In fact, I like silence at times. So anybody have anything else to say and just kind of wait. And then when the room is quiet for a period of time, you know, everything's exhausted in hopes, Lee, this strategy in hopes that you don't have to have the dreaded meeting after the meeting, right? I don't want the meeting after the meeting. I want the issues to be solved at the time where the leadership team is there. That's my trusted advisors. I don't want to have the meeting after the meeting. Right. The meeting is there for a purpose. But you're right. I think what happens is you, you know, people are quiet and they're like, oh, the meeting's over. So I'm going to stay quiet because everybody's got to get back to work. So no one's speaking up. Okay. I'm going to stay quiet too. Okay. Meeting's over. Time to go back because they don't want to be the person 
that keeps everybody in the room, right? You don't want to be that guy. Can you imagine what Kurt is trying to do? That guy is crazy. That is no way is that. He's not letting us leave. Why don't you go tell him? Don't you tell him? Don't you go tell him? Oh, right. I think it's fascinating. A lot of people are really kind of scared of the CEO, which I get, you know, for good reason, right? Like everybody's kind of afraid of the boss, I think, in a lot of ways. And but I find it interesting because everybody in that seat doesn't want to be viewed that way. And they are all of them. (laughs) A couple of times I will tell people, hey, I'm going to use my title in this because sometimes the title of CEO is very necessary. It's not the person. It's not Kurt. I have no more innate talents than anyone else. I just have different talents. And so we're all called to use our talents to the best of our ability. So don't assume that I can think about everything that's necessary. That's why you have the trusted advisors that you have on your leadership team. So it's so important to kind of stay quiet, let people talk. Best strategy that's worked for me. That's a really great insight. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've experienced as a leader? Where are some of the, you know, really hard lessons learned the rough way? Oh, boy, we could go on for hours on lessons learned. You know, I made some really dumb mistakes when I first joined, coming from one industry to another, just assuming this is how business is conducted, right? Or And vastly different. How you go to market through natural, organic food into grocery is really different than how you go into steel manufacturing to electronic providers. You can think it's the same concept, purchase order, sales invoice, collection, revenue cycle, all of those terms are the same, but boy, there are so many nuances. And I just was green and dumb and foolish. So I'm not dumb, it's just inexperienced. Costing mistakes on product launches that we want to come out with, you can really begin to look sideways. And I can say this now because I've had these leadership team coaches help us. Hey, don't be looking sideways, meaning don't always be looking at your brands and your competitor and say, oh, we got to do this because they're doing this. Know what you're known for, do what you're good, make sure it fits within your mission, vision, values, And then once you have decided that, then you set the direction, speed, risk, resources, and ensure that the culture is right in order to get there. I was, you know, chasing everything for a while, certainly made mistakes in terms of people, both adding people and probably letting some people go too early. Any aspect that we could talk in business, I'm sure I could point to more failures, or let's just say, we learn not to ever do that again. <laughs> Lessons learned. Lesson learned. You know, Grandma Van Single, right? This is my mom's mom. Grandma Van Single always said, mistakes only happen to those people who do things. And I've tried to use that mantra here as well. I'd rather you made a mistake because you tried something rather than it was a mistake that we never, ever tried. Mistakes only happen to those people who do things. That's great. Sounds like your grandma was very wise. (laughs) (laughs) All grandmas, you know, so wise. And I see now why Arthur Brooks in his book, Strength of Strengths, tell, you know, how we begin as we age, how we begin to stack experiences on top of each other. Yes. Maybe I am going to become wise someday when I sit in this office. Who knows? I think you're doing pretty good. I'd say you're pretty wise right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for the compliment. I will, again, always defer to the great team that I have surrounded myself with, including my wife. Right. She's been there since the beginning, I guess, right, of helping you through everything. Absolutely. I mean, she gets the boardroom talk. Yeah. She's a real boardroom, isn't she? (laughs) Exactly. That's hilarious. Yeah. And so... You know, looking back at your journey, I think right now, and you're thinking through all of the things that you've experienced, and mostly, I guess, in your CEO role over the past 13 years, what's something that you didn't expect? Like, what's something that surprised you? I didn't expect it to be this challenging. 
in a way, I really thought, you know, when you are, quote, classically trained in business, right? And I would say I am. I have a wonderful education from Calvin University, well-trained in accounting. I'm very comfortable in front of the bankers and the investment bankers or whatever you need to have. You know, Calvin offers a liberal arts education. Because I was an accounting student, I got somewhat exempted from some of those classes. But I think if I had to go back again, I would take more of those psychology classes, those history classes, because history repeats itself over and over again. Having the wide discipline is so important. And I thought, yeah, I know business. I've done business. This is, you could go into this. It's not that easy. Everything I always needed to learn, I learned in kindergarten. How do you learn how to play in the sandbox and in the play box that you have created? That, I think, is the question that we all need to solve. Just play nice in the sandbox. Try not to get sand in your eyes and you'll be all right. (laughs) Understand your mission, vision, values. Know who you are. Know who you serve. Know who you do it with. Those basics that you learn, the basics that you're taught, you'll get to put into place someday when you become a CEO. It's going to be a little bit challenging. You know, I went to Calvin and I and I learned about what is creation care and what is stewardship for the environment mean. And, and I'm so proud to work for a company that we donate 10% of our net profits. That's the worldview I grew up with, right? Of It's a blessing to be able to bless others. Put that into practice now and make sure you're pulling all of the right strings in order to maximize the blessings that we have, care for our employees that we have, bring the right products to market, make sure the consumers are happy. There's so many aspects to business. That's why sometimes they say the CEO office can be really, really lonely. It can because you begin to sometimes question your decisions, doubt yourself. Fear comes into play so many times, but understand who you are, understand what your purpose in life is, understand what your values are, put those into place, you'll be okay. So now you're the owner of the company. I mean, did you ever think that you would end up owning this business? (laughs) You own a chocolate bar company. Never, Never did I imagine that that would be, and that only, I can only say today that I am the CEO And I am the owner because of the benevolence of Randy Deer. He saw in me more than I saw in myself back in 2005 when I joined the organization, back in 2010 when I became the owner. He has changed my life more than he would ever know. I was with him in the final week of his life and was able just to, through direct eye contact, a pat on his leg, just being in his company, hoping to the gratitude that I have for the opportunity that he has given to me. And now it is with that gratitude and because of his benevolence that I want to magnify the effect of endangered species chocolate. I want this company to far and above exceed its goals and its aspirations. We were a mission-driven company before it was even cool to be a mission-driven company, before all of the new acronyms that are talked about. At the core, it is a blessing to be able to bless others. And that's what we try to do. We try to bless them through the great tasting product that we have, that we can give someone a moment of joy to experience our chocolate, whether it's because they're having a great day or a bad day. That's one of the things I say. Working at a chocolate factory, I can go get a piece of chocolate on a great day or I can go get it on a bad day. But being able to be a wise steward of our resources and being able to put our resources in place for those that are so well known in conservation and know that the work that they're doing, that's an easy way to enter into the building at the beginning of the day. And it's an easy way to exit the building knowing your work transcends something far greater than just the work that you did here. Well, I'm sure Randy experienced your deep gratitude in those, you know, last few days and 
that's a really special bond. It sounds like you guys had an experience. What an amazing type of figure to have in your life. I think a lot of people wish they had someone like that who was completely supportive and encouraging and pushing them to install more in them in that person than they see in themselves. I think that's something that a lot of people feel, right? And a lot of people see in others as well. I, I see this all the time. I see this in my family members or friends. And I'm like, I see such a different version of them than they see of themselves. And I think we're all kind of guilty of that in some way. So what can we see? What's coming next for the brand? You know, as owner and CEO, what, is, what can we see next coming out? Or what direction do you plan on continuing with this brand? And what's kind of final advice for aspiring CEOs? Okay, so what can we see? Well, I hope that you continue to see new and new innovation. Innovation is so important to us, whether that be additional flavors that we look at within our three-ounce bar, different form and factors. For example, we'll be coming out with seasonal items that will be in the typical gusseted bags that you're accustomed to seeing in, in the candy aisle, but only endangered species chocolate can do those in shapes of endangered species in both milk and dark chocolate. So look for that coming out in uh, Valentine's 2024 soon to be followed with Easter, hopefully Halloween, and then holiday as well. We're also looking at making sure that we meet the consumer in whatever occasion that they want. So looking at mini truffle bars may be another way to come out that is more bite size, but again, also in the stand-up gusseted bags as well. Just a different mouthfeel, different texture for the consumer that's looking for something like that. We've cast a pretty wide innovation funnel. And so it's going to be fun to see what is able to kind of move through the various stage gates that we have to see what's going to come out to market. So it's always fun working in a chocolate factory of trying to come up with what's next. It sounds so fun. I want to come visit and see it for myself. It sounds awesome. Well, Kurt, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time to share your amazing story and best of luck with all the continued success you've been having. Lee, great questions. It was a pleasure to sit down and chat with you. Thank you for the opportunity to, to share my story. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.